Hello and welcome to William Sitwell's Biting Talk. I'm food writer and Telegraph critic William Sitwell, and on each episode of Britain's liveliest food and drink show, we meet the biggest names in hospitality, as well as getting to know up-and-coming talent and other established restaurateurs, chefs, and foodie entrepreneurs who you might not have come across. And we always end each show with a two-minute cocktail recipe from the in-house biting talk mixologist, Farhad Haydari. On this episode, we meet the highly respected chef and purveyor of chutneys and spices, Cyrus Todiwala. I'll also introduce you to South African restaurateur, Nelene Strauss. She is campaigning for and hoping that the bankers will return in haste to the City of London so that her restaurant High Timber, nestling against the River Thames with views of the Shard and the Tate Modern, can survive before it attempts to thrive. And we chat to a former England cricket star who's gone from sporting legend to oil baron. That's Alan Lamb, and that's a chilly oil baron. It's all coming up here on Biting Talk with me, William Sitwell. Cyrus Toliwala, welcome to Biting Talk. Very good to see you. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. We haven't seen each other for months together now. Now, the last time I saw you, Cyrus, uh, you were at T5. You were at your uh, airport restaurant and a very good restaurant uh, it it was as well. It it wasn't a very happy occasion too when we met, actually. Tell me. Remind me. Was I rude? The day our great Antonio Carluccio passed away. Yes, of course it was. And I remember just hearing about it. And of course, um, I had the challenge of having to write an obituary for him for the Daily Mail while I was on the tube. Yes. But uh, gosh, yes, hasn't time flown by. Now, Cyrus, tell me, have you have you been up to T5? Is it a, is it a sad, tragic and lonely place? It is a sad, tragic, lonely place. It's not likely to open until September, actually. Right. So at the moment, it's a bit desolate, as is the hotel in Canary Wharf. Yes. Looking very sad at the moment because there's nothing happening in that area at all. Yes, because and we're going to talk about this in due course with Nelly and Strauss. It, it's all very well restaurants opening, but if you are in an area where there are lots of workers and it's normally bustling, there's no point, you know, opening without without those those people going about their business. Um, Cafe Spice Namaste. Um, when are you going to be saying Namaste to your customers there? We are saying Namaste. We're opening our doors from the 14th. So we are doing some takeaway now. We only started a couple of weeks ago. But uh, 14th onwards, we open the doors in the evenings. Okay. Well, that's, well, best of luck with that. Now, I expect that over the last few months, you've probably had a, a moment like all chefs, this extraordinary moment in your lives where you have a forced pause. And you are, you are an incredibly busy chef. And I, I posit that you're the busiest chef in lockdown. I think there's probably quite a competition for that. But I want to just rewind a bit. Quite a lot of of the the best Indian chefs that have come out of uh, emerged into this country had a training at the Taj Group, that iconic group of uh, hotels uh, in India, with of course its most famous building there in uh, in in Bombay. Um, you were brought up in Bombay. Your father worked for uh, the AA, I believe, the Automobile Association. Um, was it a foodie family? Was your father a great foodie? Was your mother a classic Indian cook like so many Indian mothers? Uh, yes, food, of course, is very, very epicentral to our existence. 
And uh, just today I was watching a video on the famous Dabbawalas of Bombay. And I just told somebody, since marriage, when mom started sending the Dabba to my father's office, they only lost one Dabba in 26 years. So they only lost one Tiffin in 26 years. So yeah, food was very important. So dad would be waiting for them to get his food to the office and then, of course, eat his lunch and send the empty box back. And uh, we, I grew up, of course, because for me, food became important because I was highly asthmatic. And so I missed school very often. But then moment the nine o'clock bell rang in my brain, my mischief would begin. Because I knew then mom couldn't send me back to school. Right. So instead of driving her nuts, she would drag me into the kitchen and make do small tasks with her. Okay. And I think that's where the passion also grew, that we liked, always like good food. We always like to eat, you know, good things. And um, I don't know, automatically maybe you start to love good food. And did I know that you place great faith in spices as a, uh, as, as a, as a healing uh, yes. remedies and, and yeah. something that you share with a man I was a great fan of, Udit Sarkal, who came up a similar route to you and tragically died a few years ago. He, in fact, studied medicine um, was unable to, and then went into catering. And he was a great proponent. I mean, he used to say, if you come to my restaurant, I'll cure you. Are you similar to that? Do you, do you look at your turmeric and your, you know, and all of your, your spices and, and see them as cures as well as flavors? 100%. I'm sure, I mean, from all the friends we have got and so many chefs across the country today, they've all been put on curcumin, thanks to Mr. Tariwala. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a great many chefs now. I mean, uh, they are on this curcumin made by this company called Solga. Right. And uh, yeah, so everyone's hooked onto curcumin now, whether they have, as we get older, whether our bones are weary or our noses run too often or you, you know, get the occasional bout of something else or something else. So Curcumin, of course, is the big med magic medicine, but there are so many others that have great remedies for your body. And um, I make a tonic, which uh, the staff always have, this big jar in the office with turmeric, ginger, cinnamon, and honey. Yes. All my friends now get a tub, so they request and once they run out. So at the moment you get a slight cough or a little fever, or something, one spoon goes down in everybody's throat. And it's a cure. So, yes, I think it's very important that um, spices are also treated not just for flavoring, but they are there to enhance the body because one of the greatest things about spices is the, the thinning down of the blood, which is why spices are added to desserts mostly. Yes. Because and I suppose, and, and if... if if there are curing properties in uh, in some of those spices, then I suppose it can offset the less than curing properties of things like ghee. Oh, yes, because that, that's exactly why they're there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we can indulge a bit more sometimes. Yes. Now, you first went to Australia. Um, it wasn't right for you, so then you came to the UK. Um you had we, we had Claude Bosi on the show a couple of uh, the last week. In fact, he had a tussle with the Home Office earlier this year. Your tussle was rather more serious, wasn't it? Tell us about it. Woo! How did you get to hear about that? Uh, yeah, I've had eight eviction notices served on me. Wow! 
And uh, at that time, I don't think the Home Office wanted me in this country at all. So we had a 11-year battle with the Home Office trying to survive in Britain. And all the while, we were increasing manpower, we were growing our business and everything else. And so it was harrowing times, really. But I was just a number. It's not that I don't... When people say they, uh, there, there is no racism involved, I think it's a bureaucracy involved. Yeah. There's something there where it's a number and you made a mistake that I became a businessman from an employee and that stuck over there in the home office and it was something that it had to be rectified perhaps and I had no money to invest into the country. And does it still give you sleepless? Do you still wake up? Do you still have nightmares about it? Because the idea of deportation is so terrifying if you've settled in a country and you're working and you have family. It is At that time, it turned me grey because I had a wife, two small kids, and I had this big knife hanging on my back. And of course, we had other issues as well. We had issues with our, uh, with our house, we had issues with our job, we had all sorts of issues. But we came out of it. And I think, um, no, I go back and smile and I laugh. And I, I laminated all those letters. And are there in a file somewhere? I can't find them. I laminated them. So when I'm much older, I can sit and laugh at all this. Yes, I- and I mean, and coming from a man who's cooked for the Queen, um, made her that wonderful bastardized um, sort of Indian cottage pie, really, isn't it? You can call it that, but don't forget. I mean, it was created in India for the British Army yes. people at the so same we, time. We we stole it first, yeah. and I'm sure you did. It was called the country captain. <laughs> I, yes, I'm very sorry about that on behalf of of, of the nation. Um, what are you most looking forward to getting back to doing when? when lockdown finally eases and let's hope that business gets back up and running. What, what's, what's the thing that in normal times gets you out of bed and gets you raring to go? Oh, what's me get, what gets me out of bed and ready to go? It gets me out of bed and ready to go now because there's things churning in my mind all the time. So that is why I come through lockdown or whatever. I'm down on my, I'm down by 5.36 in the morning. On a normal working day, I'm down at 4, 4.30 in the morning my little set of exercises that I do, and then I start. So I've been able to catch up, actually, on so many recipe ideas I had been shelving and making tiny notes about. So I've done about 55 recipes already. And uh, that's an achievement because I don't normally get them done so quickly. Three months is very good for me to get so many recipes. And I can't let you go without giving us Mr. Toddywala's dal recipe. Ah, How do you do it? Well, the classic Mr. Toriwala's dal is the tur dal or the pigeon pea lentil. And you're ideally best to buy the ones with the coated in castor oil because they are really good. You have to wash them in warm water so you get the oil off them. So you soak them overnight if you can. But never boil a lentil. I think people make a mistake by boiling lentils briskly. Lentils should just about simmer. There's the foam and froth. And they throw all their nutrition away. So I normally start them on level one on my cooker. And for two, hour and a half, two after it's well soaked, they become just beautifully soft. And then you puree it down. So once it's pureed down, you slice up some garlic. So cut a big clove into four and then slice it down. No chopping. A teaspoonful of uh, cumin. If you have, say, 200, 300 grams of lentil soaked and cooked. Then you need three or four green chilies split into four. Right. A bit of oil in the pan, 
when the oil hits up throw the cumin seeds in and immediately throw a nice big hefty tablespoon of butter into it <laughs> and then you add your garlic so the garlic starts to foam with the butter but doesn't burn instantly and then the chilies and then once the garlic changes just a pale golden slap it into the dal mix it in nicely season it and drink it or pour, or pour it uh, very generously over steamed rice and just enjoy oh and i love you and i love you say drink it you see it's wet it's soupy it's a it's a drink yes has to be cyrus it's just fantastic um having you on as my first guest um thank you so much oh, it's a pleasure um and um best of luck with uh, your business as we come out of lockdown and uh, thank you for joining us on biting talk it's a pleasure see you soon thank you so much take care bye right i am now going to welcome my next guest joining us all the way from the city of london from is she at high timber restaurant i'm not sure she could be in her gaff it's nelene strauss nelene strauss welcome to biting talk how are you so tell us about high timber so nelene strauss for those of you who who aren't familiar with her runs high timber it's a restaurant actually that was founded by the couple who run the Jordan Wine Estates, which I believe is in Stellenbosch. Um, tell us about High Temper. You're, you're, you're in the city of London. You can see the Shard. You can see on the terrace, you're just by the River Thames. You can look over and see the, yeah, the new Tate. We're in the square mile on the river on the north side. Um, there's nothing between us and the river. And that's why I want city people to come back because our outside terrace is, is huge. It's got space for about 40 people with two meters part if you if you you know with social distancing. Um the restaurant actually is quite big. So we we've always had two meters apart. Not really two meters, but we've always it's very well spaced because our customers can't eavesdrop on the others. They they um good customers. So um what I ideally what I'd like to do is have some of the city workers come back, not all of them like what's what's acceptable for the offices. I think they're gonna do it in fifteen percent in, in August and then 20% in September and a bit more in, in October. But also people that's not used to coming to the city that may not like the city, and, I mean, this is a wonderful city, to come and join us on the terrace in the sunshine. I mean, it's just a fantastic spot with, with the Millennium Bridge as, a back, as the background. And we have lots of fun. We don't take life too seriously. Well, at the moment it's a bit depressing, but from next week it's looking better. So when you hear about... Independence Day on next Saturday and restaurants opening. Do you feel sometimes that, you know, obviously every restaurant has its own needs. Do you feel that your needs are being listened to? Or, you know, are the communications that you have with the authorities, uh, is, there a, is there a flow of information towards you? Or are you, sitting, are you just, at the end of the day, going back to the red wine cellar and attacking those, those bottles behind you? No, no, there's a very good flow of... of, of um uh, with with the Corporation of London, they're very good. They've been very good to me. Um, my landlord's been very good to me. I've uh, got great customers, and and no, it's I mean, they've in the first two years that we were open when I when I when I bought the restaurant and such, um, they gave me a lot of grief. I talk funny, and um, you know, it's it wasn't easy then. But then they saw that what we're doing, we're actually you know, good for the city and. And yeah, and I mean, it's, it's fantastic customers. Whenever I have a problem, there's always a customer I can call on. 
And um, yeah, life is easy. Well, not at the moment, but normally. So I hope it can return a little bit towards that. I don't think it'll be a full return ever, but um, hopefully we can get London being London again. I love London. And you've got, of course, you have iconic ingredients on your um, on your menu. You have your uh, rooibos tea smoked salmon. You've got a, yes. a, a, a biltong croquettes. Do those dishes sell particularly well or do you have to tell Very people, well. explain them what rooibos is and, you know, that biltong actually isn't just for, for farmers chewing and spitting it out, that you can actually cook with it? The chef actually came in yesterday to start making the biltong for next week. Um, it's, it's, it's traditional biltong. It's my um, grandmother's recipe from the Free State, but it's more suitable for the English palate. There's less coriander. Um, we slice it much thinner so you don't have to chew on it, and it's just delicious. And, yeah, we smoke our own um, robots. We smoke our own salmon, and it's very, very light. It's, it's, I think it's delicious. It's been on the menu for 11 years. So, Yeah, and I love your, your, I love your wine list because um, it, it's just wines and then it's not South African. When, when, uh, when wine salesmen knock at the door of Nelline Strauss, and they're bearing gifts from Italy or France or Greece. I take do, them. Do, do you show them, you give them short shrift? Not at all. No, no, no. It will be however boring to drink from one country. Only. I mean, no, we, we have wines in here. We've got 40,000 bottles from all over the world. And also it's the city. So you have to have the names, um, you know, the first growths and the DRCs and things, which we don't sell a lot of. But if you don't have it, you can't sell it. Yeah. So, it, no, wine is fun. The, the, I think the difference between our take on wine is, is it's really fun. We make friends with wine. We drink the stuff. And, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a wine connoisseur as such. I will never pass myself off on that. I've got lots of friends who are, and I get their, their advice in regularly, especially Greg Sherwood. I mean, if I don't know something or I have to sound really clever, I go, Greg, help. Um, so, no, it's, it's, it's wines from, I mean, really from all over the world, South America, North America. I love Italian wines. I love Spanish wines. I'm on a massive Albarino streak at the moment. And, uh, yeah, so, no, they don't get the short straw. We love wine. And I'm interested that um, your choice of tipple early evening is a glass of red. No, my choice of uh, – I'll start with a Negroni um, and then some bubbly if, if we do it in – and then good white and good red. And you are, you are, of course, famous for your Negronis. Yes. Sorry about that. No, that's fine. Um, 14th of July is the reopening date? 6th. 6th of July. 6th, sorry. Monday. Must listen more carefully. Uh, Nelene, it's been absolutely fantastic catching up with you. Thank um, you for having me on. Great to spread the word about uh, High Timber. Thank you. I'm assuming you have Instagram accounts and some people can follow you and, and book tables and so on. We so, do. And pop in for a steak, please. Yes, I will. I'll be there. I'll come in. I'll come in. South African wine. I'll be there with Lammy. <laughs> Fantastic. There we go. Nelly and Strauss. Now, my next guest. Here he is. Alan Lamb, welcome to Biting Talk. Hi, William. Very good to see you. And wasn't that fun seeing, uh, seeing Nelly and Strauss? Because I know you're a regular there. It was. Uh, uh one of my favorite places when we do go to the city she does look after us very well and um 
she's got a good range of wines. So, you know, you can get every wine you want there. So as she said, I think she's totally right about that. So I have to agree with her on that one. Now, are you, are you, you must be missing the cricket season now d- dreadfully uh, or with your cricketing days, you know, quite, quite far behind you. Um, you know, is it, is it, a, is it a, a factor of your past or are you still very much involved in, you know, in watching and participating in cricket these days? Um, no, it's a little bit in the past. I mean, um, I, I do get to the test matches because we have a hospitality business. So we do take clients to the cricket. Um, and that's probably the only time I'll go. But I do sort of keep a check on what's going on, who's doing well and that type of thing. So, um, I, you know, I've been speaking to quite a lot of the players and, and a lot of them are, are really sort of hacked off a bit that they haven't been allowed to come back earlier. But, you know, all sports suffering, football's managed to get off, um, rugby, cricket's coming on next and then the rugby. So um, that's one of my favourite sports to watch. Yes. Now, I, I was reminding uh, everyone earlier about that great moment in, uh, I think it was 87 against Australia. Do you remember that over when you needed to get, you needed to hit 17 runs to win? Do you remember that well? Yes, I do. I um, I had to, because if I hadn't got those 17 overs, I don't know how I would have faced my teammates because I hadn't hit a boundary up to that last over. And I said, I've got to get these runs, otherwise the boys are not going to speak to me at all. And you, and of course, uh, there was uh, there was a couple of boundaries and a two, and uh, and of course, are you friends still with? Do you keep up with Bruce Reed, the yeah, man so that you old, beat? Old chicken legs, yeah, we see. Well, they call him Chuck. Um, no, when when we're in Australia, we do bump into him. So no, we we um, I haven't seen him for a long time. But uh, when I was in Australia, we did catch up. So you went into the travel business, um, of, uh, as some will know. Um, uh, years after you or your your cricket career, um, you must. I mean, of all the people that I know uh, in this business, it must have been difficult the last few months. You can't pitch. You don't. There's uncertainty. Um, there's no income. How have you been coping mentally with uh, with the challenges? Well, just trying to survive. I've had my uh, daughter and her child and her husband up. They've been here since March, so it's been very testing for someone who who lives with his wife on his own. And then all of a sudden we, we surrounded uh, with, with people. Now we've, we've seemed to survive that, but I mean, I think the whole industry, the hospitality and the travel business has really been hit hard. And um, all I've been doing is paying out refunds to people because of all everything that's been canceled. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm working on next year. Um, we've got a big trip for the lions going out to, to South Africa in June, July, August. So, um, I'm, I'm selling, trying to get back on the road. So yeah. they got the green light on that. So um, that's the next sort of adventure I'll be doing. So uh, hopefully we can take a lot of people to South Africa. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, you've become an oil baron. Now, this is very exciting. Um, chili oil, in, in specifically rapeseed oil from South Africa, tempered, or rather I should say spiced with... Um, those beautiful bird's eye, bird's eye chilies. Um, tell us about this Banhook chili oil. How does how does Alan Lamb, cricketer slash travel guru, suddenly become a chili oil baron? Well, I met Ken Kim, uh, Kimsley Quick. Um, he used to work in the city uh, in in London, and then moved back to South Africa. And um, him and his partner Ed Morse um, had a chat, and I liked the oil, and said that I want to come on board. 
So um, I'm a partner now of the company. And, um, you know, it's not something, if, if you don't like the oil, you wouldn't get involved with it. But I think it's a fantastic oil, you know, made out of pure rapeseed uh, oil, a, a rapeseed. And, and also, as you said, the bird's eye view. And, and we dry out the chili and, and it's all handmade. And um, we're just moving to a big factory that's been built right on the Bunhook Pass as you go down past the Kara. Um, so we're building a big restaurant and a big factory there. So that's going to be fantastic. So on your way, if you're coming down from Stellenbosch on the way to France, you could be on the right-hand side. Ban, how do you say it? Banhook. Banhook. Banhook chili oil. Banhook chili oil. And it's a, um, a beautiful bottle. I love, uh, um, I like the sort of that orange deep reddy orange label on the top and um uh, you've got an image of is that a leopard crawling through the undergrowth there on the correct back? because it's known for its leopard um you've got uh, the farms are very very keen to keep the leopards and uh, there are leopards around there so that's right. the reason um the the leopard is on there so what can we do with uh, Lamy's Banhook chili oil? What do you recommend? We, we, we've got about 60 stockists at the moment. And, um, you know, we haven't gone into the, the supermarkets yet, but uh, um, it, it's moving nicely. Um, it's a great oil. I don't think it's got, you know, a lot of these oils, are, are, they, they drop some chilies in it and that. And it, this is a nice pure and it's got a nice little after kick. And you can use it for everything, pizzas, stir fries, everything, you know. So to me, it's it's a great oil and 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 I think it'll it'll sell well. So um we're moving it well to, you know, to a lot of places. Um, but we need to to move big quantities now. I think have you tried have you tried it yet? I'm saving well, I'm saving it. I would like you to open that bottle and try it, William. <laughs> Don't burn, I promise yes, you. Sir. I think I think actually some uh Sort of huevos revueltos, you know, Mexican scrambled eggs. Um, not that I believe in brunch, but I think, you know, a lazy Sunday lunch or a Sunday brunch or a late breakfast with a few splashes of that just to sort of get you going. That could be good. Yeah, it's fantastic. You can use it on everything, to be honest. Great. Well, listen, Alan, it's fantastic to catch up with you. Thank you for joining us on Biting Talk. Thanks, William, and thanks for having us. And and good luck. I'll, I'm going to have a look at those wines. I may have to get some wines off you. Yeah, and um, uh, let's hope that when we go and have lunch at Nellene's, Nellene Strauss's restaurant, that the chili oil is uh, very much in residence. I will make sure that uh, she gets it, and uh, we'll try go the same day. I'm going to get hold of them. We'll try to get a date, and we'll go together. Look forward, Alan Lamb. Thank thanks, you, for, William. Thank you so much. Thank you. There we have it. Not every day we have a cricketing legend on uh, on Biting Talk. Well, Biting Talk can't really be a truly great episode of Biting Talk unless we end with our resident mixologist mixing a cocktail, giving us, who knows, a wise reflection on the food and drink world. Uh, a big warm welcome to Farhad Haydari. William, great to be back on the show. It's lovely to hear you. Uh, have you enjoyed today's uh, dazzling array of guests? Absolutely brilliant. Listening to Cyrus was absolutely wonderful to hear about his lentil uh, recipe, which my mother used to make. So it uh, sort of harkens back to yesteryear. So listen, can we end with something uh, smart and uh, Manhattan styly, New York styly? What have you got up, uh, up your sleeve today? I've got a Brooklyn Godfather, which is an oh. after-dinner drink. It's a postprandial, if you will. And okay. it consists of whiskey, amaretto, 
and a combination of dry vermouth and sweet vermouth. And what we're going to do is we're going to take 60 milliliters of bourbon whiskey. It could be a cheap and cheerful one like Maker's Mark, or it could be something more substantial. Uh, it has to be bourbon whiskey. And then you mix that with 15 milliliters of amaretto into a glass stirrer filled with ice, adding to that wonderful concoction another 15 milliliters of the dry vermouth, and then seven and a half milliliters of sweet vermouth. Now you could go for with Martini Rosso or a Dolan, uh, which many people prefer, but let's stick to the recipe in this, in this regard. And then you stir that all up and you pour it into a chilled martini glass and you garnish it with a maraschino cherry, Mr. Sitwell. Ah, ah, very fancy. Sweet and sickly, but uh, sometimes in the right environment, that's okay. Absolutely. And it's a beautiful drink. It's called the Brooklyn Godfather. Uh, you, won't do, you won't have to uh, uh, sustain any shrapnel by, by consuming it. Okay, sounds good. Listen, we'll have to leave it there. Let's put the uh, recipe uh, on our various social feeds on the Instagram uh, so others can uh, share in that joy, particularly with that maraschino cherry garnish. Farhad Heydari, thank you as ever for joining Biting Talk. With pleasure, William. Nice to be on. Well, that brings us to the end of another great edition. My thanks to all my guests on this show. Thanks to Cyrus Todiwala. Thank you to Nalene Strauss. And my grateful thanks, of course, to the legendary cricketer, come chili oil baron, the wonderful Alan Lamb. Join us again the next time we have some fascinating and delicious biting talk. Listener.